Welcome to episode 10 of the Letterpress Digest podcast. Uh, today I talk with Britt Rohr of Swell Press Paper Co. She is a letterpress printer and designer in California and has rather quickly built a following for her work, uh, which is in large part custom invitations and stationery. Uh, she'll talk about how she got started, her creative process, being an entrepreneur, and obviously we'll talk about printing. Um, she also provides some really cool tips on things like her watercolor wash invitations, uh, which are fantastic. Uh, and she also told me about a game changer for folded cards. So stay tuned for that. All right, here we go. Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome Britt Rohr of Swell Press Paper. Britt, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I am really excited to, to talk to you and, and hear some of your secrets um, from the Swell Press Paper Co. Um, <laughs> I really want to start with, how did you get your start in letterpress? Oh man, um, it's, you know, I've always kind of been a little crafty. I used to like make my own greeting cards and stuff when I was little. Obviously, I didn't have any grand plans to, you know, have a stationary company. But I remember um, a couple years ago, I just I found this piece of paper and it was letterpress. And at the time, I didn't really like know what it was, but it, it was like came with a jewelry insert. And it was just like this beautiful, thick paper with this like Preston logo. And I was obsessed with it. And I didn't really know what it was. And then I found myself um, during, I, I worked at a production company at the time. So during my day job, I would just kind of started like reading wedding blogs and reading design blogs and stuff like that. And then my whole love of art and graphic design and making things that, you know, kind of got pushed aside for the past 10 years or so just all came back. Um, and then I finally, you know, I was stumbling on all these websites and I was just mesmerized by like this like thick paper with like beautifully impressed. I was like drooling over it. I was just obsessed with like how tactile it is. And then obviously I found out it was letterpress. So I took a class here um, in Los Angeles up in um, Glendale at a place called Lala Press with a girl named Mabel. She taught private lessons. And when I took that class, I was just, you know, the first roll of the press, like yep. feeling the oh, paper yep. impress on the plate. I was, I was like hooked. Like immediately I was just like, okay, this is what I want to do. And it's so cheesy, but I'm always like, that's when it's like, as if like the heavens parted and <laughs> it was just like, okay, this is what you have to do. Right. Um, so I, I still worked at a production company at the time, but I would go at, as much as I could. And I would go print at, um, at Mabel's place. I would print anything I could do. I would print wedding invitations for friends and I would do just, you know, anything I could print. And then I started looking on Craigslist for a press and looking on eBay. And I found, finally found um, my Vandercook or my first Vandercook, which was an SP 15 model. It's one of the smaller ones. Mm -hmm. So I found that on eBay and I kind of just decided to go for it. It was, it was kind of crazy. I remember like sitting there and watching like the bid like the clock. Tick, oh man, no. <laughs> it, was, like, it was doing the countdown. And I remember, you know, the, I think the, the option started at like $3,000 or something, which like for Vandercook was pretty cheap. Right. And right. I just remember like watching it go up and watching it go up. 
And then with like 30 seconds till the end of the auction, I just typed in some number that was like, it kind of made my stomach flip, but I was like, okay, if I, if I don't get this press, like I'm going to be really upset because I'm sure, you know, and a lot of people know Vanderhooks are really hard to find. Right. Yep. Um, so, and I won the auction and it was, it was crazy. I, so I got the press shipped from Philadelphia, uh, to my garage and, I started pressing more out of my garage, just again, like in my free time, any weekend, any time I had, mm-hmm. you know, started like a little Instagram, which was kind of, it was hard for me to do. It's hard to like put your work out there, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess, and that's kind of how it all began. That's my very long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's started. great. Well, you said you, you have, you had to kind of put your design um, uh, I guess skills on hold for a while. Do you have a, a background in design? And then did no, you kind of, I don't, no? you know, I okay. painted a lot like when I was younger and I really wanted to be an art major, but of course I was veered in the direction of like doing something a little bit more reasonable. So I chose advertising slash graphic design, um, and film studies. So, and then I decided I wanted to be a production designer, you know, so still that, that artistic side of me. Right. Um, and that's why I moved to LA, you know, I really wanted to like work on Lord of the Rings or something and like building these sets. And then I realized that that wasn't easy. <laughs> so I started working on like the admin side of production. Um, okay. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. I would totally also want to work on Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I, I would share that. Instead I was like making commercials for like Oreos and stuff, which was cool. And it was a ton of fun, but like, it wasn't exactly like creatively fulfilling. Um, and I was more doing like the logistics and stuff. I wasn't right. actually making stuff. So. Right, right, right. Well, now you've got uh, a thriving business, Swell Press Paper. You guys mostly do like wedding invitations and stationery, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm most, the bulk of my business is wedding invitations. I also okay. do a lot of um, like branding suites, so like business cards and note cards. And I'm starting to do more digital digital design like for branding. Um, for a while, I kind of put that on the back burner. And now I'm thinking about starting up that portion of Swell Press too. So also being a digital design, but with the goal that if I make you a logo, I can also like beautifully execute it in a letterpress suite and, and right. stuff like that. Right. Yeah, that's that's very cool. What is it like to have such a client centric business, right? Because I mean, you don't so much have products. I mean, you do, but you don't. You know, your your every every project is very custom to your to your client. I mean, what does that process look like for you? Really long. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Ev- everything now is custom. I've launched a couple semi custom um, collections and. On one hand, I love it. Like, I love nothing more than getting a couple adjectives from a bride or a Pinterest board and, like, you know, a really vague description. Like, I want whimsical and romantic. And then being able to take those words and design a wedding suite that they then tell me is like, oh, my God, you captured exactly what was in my mind. Like, I I love that. I think it's so fun and, and exciting um, and really gratifying. And the other part of custom is that it, it's, it is really time consuming. You know, there's only so many clients I can take on at a time. And it's funny, I've been listening to, um, proof to product. I don't know if you're familiar with that oh, podcast, yes. yeah, but it's run by, yeah. And it's great, but it's most of the people or most of the episodes I've listened to at least, um, their stories of growing their business all kind of at some point are like, so I stopped doing custom design and I started doing <laughs> you know, something they can wholesale. And the more I listen to it, I'm like, I get it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so next year, early next year, I'm going to be launching 
a semi custom collection based on a lot of my most requested designs. Um, and then from there I'll take on a limited number, an even more limited number of custom products. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I was going to ask you too. I mean, you, you have to be really good and adept at sort of managing expectations, I would imagine, right? Because having, having that constant interaction with, with varying set of customers, maybe some don't quite know what letterpress is. You have to educate yeah. as well yeah. as. <laughs> yeah. Like when people send me like a, like a watercolor picture sometime, they're like, I want this letterpress. I'm like, well, <laughs> Can. It's one it's one color at a time, so I can't do that. I can flat print that and then letterpress. Um, yeah, there are, there are a ton of logistics that go into it. I, I think it does go back to that I did work in production. In production, it's like you have so many things in the air, and right. it's super high stress, and you know, being organized and stuff is really important. So I can kind of fall back on that skill set, which I'm so grateful for. Yeah. Well, I mean, having a, that, that experience right in um, production, I mean, what is it like now being your own boss? It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I, I still, I have a very like soft spot spot in my heart for production. Um, But like when you're working, you are working, your time is not your own. And it's something that eventually, you know, I would be out to dinner and I would have to like step out to take a call for 20 minutes. And I missed a lot of life. Um, I mean, especially also when I was building swell press and working full time, I missed a lot of life and we could touch on that later. But now it's, it is really great. You know, I still obviously have clients that I'm answering to, and I always try to answer them in a timely manner and stuff, but it's nice, you know, that if I want to take off or if I want to work from home one day, or if I'm up till 2am designing, so I'm going to allow myself to, you know, sleep in till nine, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, what uh, the, how you, you just kind of touched on it, separating sort of work, work, the, I guess the work life balance. I mean, what does that look like? What did it look like when you were creating swell and, and what does it look like now? Oh, um, when I was creating swell, it was hard. I mean, I, you know, I touch on it sometimes like on Instagram and I, I I'm really careful that I don't want to make it seem like I'm complaining, but I do want to be transparent about the amount of work it takes to, to have a business. I think sometimes people, you know, they see that I like have a decent Instagram following or something. So they think it's been this like meteoric rise. And it's like, no, it it was hard, you know, for the first two or three years when I was running out of my garage, like I did not have a day off. I was working in production to pay the bills. And then every, you know, extra dollar I had from production, I would put into equipment or just like printing and paper to experiment and all this stuff. And I always joke that like, I think in a year I literally had like eight days off and that was for my wedding and my honeymoon. Like it, it was, and I finally got to the point where it just wasn't sustainable. And, Mm um, yeah, so that was then. And now I, and you know, and back then when it was, I was always busy and I was, I was complaining a lot about how busy I was. And, and a lot of people would say like, you need to rest. And I'm like, you don't know what it's like. Like I can't rest. I'm trying to build a business. And now in retrospect, I see like when everyone told me like, you're no good to anyone if you're burnt out. Now I'm like, that is so true. And only in hindsight can I see that, you know, I was, I was so burnt out. So now I am, I still work, you know, like six days a week. It used to be seven. So now I try to take Sundays down. Um, and it's really important. I'm always thinking about the business. I always have stuff on my mind, but I, I try to be very purposeful in, okay, like if I'm, 
at the beach one day, like let's focus on, on being there because then I come back to work and I'm refreshed and I'm excited to work as opposed to just feeling like it's this never ending cycle. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in past episodes, um, you know, even the very, the very first episode of this podcast, we talked about sort of the, the tactile nature of letterpress, but also it, it sort of induces this need to it necessitates you kind of slow down sometimes, you know, as you're printing, it can only go so fast. Oh yeah. And you know, my husband, who's like my biggest, champion he's also there to kind of keep me grounded and sometimes like if I'm having a problem on the press if like you know for some reason it's just not inking right or something I sometimes have the tendency to just like go and do it anyway and then I look back the next day and I'm like I should have just stopped like I should have stopped and took a breath and and really like focus on like what's the problem I do so many things in haste and I'm trying to be better about it so it does it's really important to like slow down and not get emotional and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and with, uh, I guess, juggling a lot of the different projects and you've got so much going on and working so much, I mean, how do you manage time to be creative? Um, I, well, you know, a couple months ago, I met with like a branding coach and our meetings were on Thursdays. Then after our first meeting, I decided that Thursday, because I had to drive like an hour to get there. So the day was kind of already shot. So then after that, I was like, okay, so Thursday is now going to be my day to just create. And it doesn't really have to be for a client. It Maybe it's just for me. Maybe it's just me to like zone out and like paint for no reason or something. So like Thursday is my day to create. And that's a really exciting new thing that I've implemented. I mean, I'm still answering emails and sometimes a deadline's a deadline. Like I'm still, you know, printing if I need to, but I try to purposely make Thursday my day for just you know, to allow my mind to wander and stuff like that. Um, and then recently I, when I moved into this new studio in April, I was so excited to be able to hire interns because I was working out of my garage prior and I had so many people reaching out to me like, Oh, can I intern for you? And I'm like, I don't like, I'm literally working out of my dingy one car garage. It's going to be so (laughs) weird. Like there's barely enough room for me. Yeah. So then when I got the studio, I was like, yes, okay. Time for interns. So I got two fantastic interns and immediately it just showed me like, oh my gosh, how much more I can get done. And, you know, on people say that if you hire someone, if it's the right person, they'll pay for themselves. And that couldn't be more true with one of my interns that I did hire on part time. I trained her as a press woman and she does um, a lot of our client service stuff, you know, like initial inquiries from brides and stuff like that. And just seeing how much, even as a part time employee, she has freed up my time to be able to design. We know when she's printing and she's trained to be fantastic, you know, but I always go over and check and we agree on things or like, you know, does this need to be adjusted a little bit? So she's printing and she's running off, you know, 150 invitations and stuff. And I'm over here designing and it's been so fantastic. Wow. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, I, you know, I'm really curious as, as you've talked about hiring interns and going from your garage to your own studio space. I mean, tell me about the, the moment when you realized like you took the leap, you know, like that this could work. Yeah. Well, I didn't have a choice because, so I was on my first um, press. It was my Vandercook SP 15. And then I had a manual guillotine cutter, you know, like the big 500, I don't I, pounds. I don't know how heavy it is. Maybe a thousand. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, so that was just that in the garage. And I was always just a little nervous about the fact that like, if I was going to do this one day, what happens if something happens to my press? Like I just kind of wanted, it sounds weird to say a backup press because it's a huge investment and a huge, like it takes up a ton of space. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. But I just wanted another press. And I was always looking, you know, on Craigslist, on eBay, on, you know, everywhere just to see if there's ever going to be another Vandercook. And then one came up and it was only actually like three hours east of me um, near kind of Palm Springs in California. And this press came up for sale and I was like, I think I'm going to get this. Like, I, I want this. I had been, you know, saving my money at, any penny I'd ever made from Swell Press while I still had my job, I'd just been putting away to, you know, further invest into the business. Right. Um, so when I, you know, drove three hours and met this guy and looked at his Vandercook and knew I wanted it, that was also the moment where I was like, okay, well, this isn't going to fit in my garage anymore. <laughs> so it was amazing. He said, you know, I think I bought the press in February maybe. And he said, take as much time as you need. Like, let's just plan on maybe you moving this out of here in like August. So I was like, all right. So he, it was amazing that he gave me like a six month grace period to try to find a space. Um, so I'm eternally grateful for that. And so when I bought that, it was a Vandercook 215, which is a little bit bigger. I also got a Chandler and Price because it was kind of like an all or nothing deal. So I got a Chandler and Price and three cases of lead type. So I was like, not only will I not fit in like a two car garage, like I need a studio. Yeah. So I started the hunt for a commercial space, which in LA is, it was really a pain. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, uh, LA uh, real estate prices are... And yeah. demand, yeah, it's significant. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it was no small feat. And eventually I found um, I found a space, which is great. Um, it's, it's like in the back part of a building that a woodworker and an artist occupy, which is really nice, but we're all kind of like sectioned off. Um, yeah, so I've been here since April. And then as soon as I moved in here, I was like, okay, I need to get one of those bigger paper cutters. So then I found, you know, a challenge hydraulic paper cutter. Mm-hmm. And that has also just change my life (laughs) (laughs) like now I print on my old one which I'll never get rid of I still love it but I'm like how did I ever like run a business with that manual thing (laughs) yeah yeah that's funny well I mean how was it just walking away from your old job and I mean was it like a big leap did you feel like yes it was terrible it was terrifying um so I had left my staff job maybe about like three years prior but I had been freelancing in production which it was, oh, okay. I'm so fortunate that I had that opportunity because it's like you, you work, you know, two weeks, four weeks, and then you can right. take off basically until you feel like working again. So I was kind of like working and then hoarding away, you know, like my, my money. And then when I wasn't working, I was working on swell press. So it was kind of just like this, like sinusoidal, like, okay, swell press work, swell press work. Um, yeah, and then yeah. eventually once I got the studio, uh, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to do this. Like, I think I have enough money saved that I can, right. you know, last at least a year. And I think I'm going to do this. And my husband really encouraged me to do it too, because he was just like, you're never going to know, like you have to do this and you have to give it a shot. And so that's what I did. And it was scary. I mean, you never know. It's never a good time. There are still days when I'm yeah. like, oh man, I missed, I missed that like <laughs> Eddie paycheck, like, you know, yeah. but. I, I moved in here and I promised myself I was going to give it a year. That was the pact I made myself. I'm like, I'm going to give it everything I've got for a year. You know, I didn't know if the space was going to work out. I didn't know what it was going to be like having to like commute somewhere and, you know, some days like be alone all day and stuff. I, I didn't know, but I promised myself I'd give it a year. So now we're like, what, I think like six months in. So <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you're six months into the year, into that one year? <laughs> yeah, it was just in no. April. 
No, no, no. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, no, wait, my math is bad. It was eight months. Okay. That is embarrassing. It was eight months. So I'm eight months into, into the year. Into the one year. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. So you were doing a lot then from your garage. You know what? I, I was, I think I kind of faked it. I think I, it made it seem like I was doing a lot more <laughs> than I was. Um, I mean, yeah, I had like a wedding suite or two every weekend. So okay. I, I don't know if that's, you know, a lot. It was great. Like at the time, it was great, like extra like play money to like play around with like new paper and stuff like that. But it definitely right. wasn't anything I could support myself on. Okay. Wow. Well, you know, that's one thing I, I, I wanted to ask you about was your um, social media. I, I feel like you have, um, I mean, you, you've got a, a really clear brand, which is why I, I've, I was very surprised that you're only eight months into your, this, this one year commitment to yourself, um, is, <laughs> is amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just the eight months, it, the year kind of started when I moved into the studio and I right. was like, all right, this, this is it. Obviously it's like it, it was going for sooner, but yeah, I'm eight months in. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, how have you, I, I, I feel, uh, I feel like you've done really well managing your social media presence and it seems like you devote a lot of your time and effort, um, Maybe not a lot, but but some of your effort and time to sort of making sure that um, you're presenting your work well. I mean, can you talk about the the process of, of how you approach social media? Yeah, I mean, I'm eternally grateful for Instagram. It's where 95 percent of my clients find me. And I just, you know, I view Instagram as like a portfolio of my work. And I am I am like a little precious with it sometimes. You know, if I post something that's like, or if I print something that's like hot pink and I think it's awesome, but you know, my, like my palette, you know, for lack of a better word, I wonder if anyone's like rolling their eyes at that, but like my palette doesn't really allow for it. Like I won't mm -hmm. post it. So I'm very careful about what I post. And, um, I also always try to try to take pictures that do the letterpress method justice. You know, I, I've seen photographers before like shoot, not that I'm calling myself a photographer, but I call, I see photographers shoot letterpress and it's so like blown out. You can't really see the impression and stuff. So I'm really careful about like, you know, getting the proper shadows and all that stuff. Um, and then I try to take major advantage of Instagram stories. The introduction of Instagram stories has been huge. At first I was like a little nervous about it. And now I'm just like, okay, guys, that's what we're printing today. <laughs> and I think it's great. I think it it shows people how much work goes into letterpress, which yeah. is important. And that's nice. You know, when people see, obviously, letterpress is more expensive than other printing methods. But, like, you know why if you if you watch my stories or if you're educated on the method. So right. yeah. that's really awesome. I've, um, I've watched quite a bit uh, of your stories. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's weird that, like, <laughs> you know, I, I always answer people's questions. Or I always try to at least and, you know, give advice when I can. But it feels so strange, you know, for people to like ask me questions. And I'm like, me? Like, I don't know. I'm <laughs> much more learned and experienced printers that are like, she is doing it wrong. And like, that's the thing. I, I've most stuff, you know, I'm, I'm kind I'm mostly self-taught, you know, I think with letterpress as with anything else, like the way you learn it is by trial and error. And believe me, like there have been so many errors. It is, but that's how I've, you know, that's how I've learned. You know, I don't, I don't advertise the times when I'm like crying on the floor because I 
registered something wrong or I cut something in the, like in the middle, right. but yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. I, we can, we can definitely relate. I mean, we took, my wife and I took that one class that sounds a lot like yours, you know, that first crank of, of a Vandercook and you pull your, mm-hmm. your brand and you're like, oh man, this is, you know, I'm, is over. I'm done. You know, I, I'm yeah. all in. And it was so gratifying and it still is like, you think I would get like tired of it now, but like literally every time I'm like rolling, like running the press, I'm like, oh God, that's so pillowy. It looks so good. <laughs> so crisp. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It is really neat, but there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot that goes behind the scenes. I think, you know, like, like you were alluding to that, uh, it's much more difficult, you know, to figure things out. I mean, we talked about it. I talked about it with Eli of union press in a past episode. It's just a lot of trial by fire. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's particularly these days with letterpress, you know, because historically people would learn through apprenticeships, but now it's like an age old trade in sort of modern day times. It's just diff- different. Yeah. Well, and you know, a, a part of my education, which I, which I left out, which I have to touch on is that after I took that private lesson with Mabel and then started renting her presses by the hour, and then I bought my press, I enrolled at Otis, which is an art school here. I enrolled in their continuing education classes. So I, for two semesters, went, I think, like every Saturday for class and then um, for like every open lab hour I could. I printed there. So I learned a ton from the teachers at Otis. Some of some of my methods they would like cringe at, you know, like I love a really deep impression. Technically, that's not what you're supposed to do. So I would like print on, you know, the 220 pound paper and like just kind of cram it in there. And I could see that they were nervous. They were like, you shouldn't be doing that. But (laughs) I learned a ton from them. Um, that was fantastic. Yeah, but a lot of it is just trial and error. Really hard, really expensive trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's a it's a good segue. I wanted to sort of ask you about uh, your printing. Do you normally print on two two twenty? Is most of your stuff um, printed? I try 220? to. You know, yeah. I know it's cost prohibitive, but whenever I do a wedding suite, I always suggest that at least the invitation is on two twenty, and then the other elements are on one ten. Um, sometimes there's a design I think that would like lend itself to like the thinner paper more if it's like maybe like a more romantic design or obviously if it has like a torn edge, you can't do that on 220. But yeah, I mostly print on 220. Okay. I've never actually, um, uh, admittedly pulled, we've never used 220 on our Vandercook. I mean, does it, does it still roll well? I mean, is there, are there oh, any? Yeah, it yeah. rolls totally fine. I mean, you can feel it like crunching, but it, it's rolls totally <laughs> fine. Yeah. Uh, okay. Have you ever used, um, I, I know most of the time you use polymer plates, right? For your designs. Yes. As you, you yeah. Know? I okay. use, I use polymer plates. Do I you, get them um, from boxcar press or crown flexo. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We use, um, we use boxcar as well. We talked to Harold Kyle in a past episode about the whole process that he went through about making those bases, uh, and the polymer plates stories, which is really fascinating. Yeah. I listened to some of that and I was like, Oh, I feel like we're like kindred spirits. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, that was really, it was really funny how, uh, he basically had a solution to his problem and was like, I'm just going to go solve it myself. And, you know, yeah. out came the boxcar base. I mean, the- polymer has changed the game. I've, I've had, I've used um, metal, you know, metal on the magnetic bunting bases before. And it was just, that was hard. And then the fact that you can't cut it, you know, it's like if I make a mistake right. or something, I want to be able to like cut the plate and all that stuff. So po- polymer is my 
one true love. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Have you ever pulled out the the old metal type? Those three those three uh, sets that you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, just like for fun and stuff. When I was like first testing my press, um, I pulled them out, but I I don't print on them. Yeah. Like I should, you know, and I'm sure like letterpress purists are like, no, oh my God. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's certain, I mean, particularly as doing weddings, it's, it's far more difficult to sort of incorporate both the design elements that you're, you know, creating yeah. um, as well as that, that text. I you- mean, props to anyone who can do that. It's like letterpress already is painstaking. I cannot imagine placing like you know, the honor of your presence with like size eight, you know, Garamond, like I would, I would lose it. (laughs) (laughs) There is, yeah, there is a lot of patience, I think that's required to do that. We, my wife uh, set like this little uh, quote, I think recently, and I mean, it took, it took a really long time, far longer. I think it was our first time to set tight because we wanted to experiment. Uh, And it was, you know, it was, yeah, it's a, I remember like the first time I set wood type at Otis, I, I did it all backwards because I like set the type to be like the right way. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, that's why they have the mirrors there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's smart. They have mirrors. I've never, I've, I've made so many mistakes. I actually, Uh the first time I did a a lino cut, was just testing out, like the whole thing was right reading. So then when I, when I printed it, like everything was backwards and like <laughs> smart, you know, like, uh-huh. I don't know why I wouldn't think that that's was, was yep. awesome. <laughs> Classic. Maybe that's one of those limited edition prints that, you know, we'll I sell know, right? later on. Probably not. Uh, well, one thing I wanted to ask too about the, the deep impressions you do when you print ink on top of impressions, you've already, uh, the sort of the blind impressions. Do you mm-hmm. find like, is there any issues printing that ink onto the already sort of depressed paper? No. And you, you know, usually it's only if there's like a pattern or a leaf or something. I just, um, there's either two ways I do it and it depends on what I'm printing. Sometimes I just, you know, I obviously keep in mind when I'm printing the blind that I'm going to have to go deeper on the ink. So I'll change my packing. Like I'll do a deep blind, then I'll do a super deep ink because I want the ink to go into the blind and I don't want that impression where the ink is impressing upon the blind to be like compromised because you know if it's not if it's not super deep then sometimes it can it can just look weird um or other times I'll actually I'm trying to think of like a way to describe it I'll register or I'll I'll order my plate so say there's like a floral background right and on the floral background I want to write high I'll take that same high, like the lettering, I'll put it in white and I'll put that on the floral background and then I'll add a stroke and then I'll do another plate with the high so that when the high is pressing on the card, like where that's actually pressing isn't blind embossed. It actually is still like puffy. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's, it's actually, there's actually no blind embossed. And so when you hit it with the ink, it's like, it's like already got a space reserved for it. Yeah, so for that inked part, if the registration is perfect, that ink part actually isn't blind embossed. Oh, okay. And that would be for like bigger texts within like a pattern or something like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've actually done it with like pretty thin text before. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good way to alleviate that problem too. Okay. Yeah. I guess you've really got to nail the registration. Uh, for, yes. yeah. <laughs> how do you, what do you use like crop marks or, I mean, how do you make sure everything is in register across? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do. I just do classic crop marks. And then if I'm doing something with like really tight registration, I'll do the, the bullseye crop marks. I don't really know what they're, what they're called. I make them just out of like three circles and a crosshatch. Um, I'll do that on top of 
like on top of the artwork, if that makes sense. So then we're, right. you know, the bullseye are, that's where I know it's like registered perfectly. Right. Yeah. That would be in like a corner or something. Right. And you just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. then I have my boxcar base, which has like the grid lines and, and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes sense. Um, well, as far as, um, when you do you, so one thing I also have noticed a lot in your Insta stories, I've watched a lot of your Insta stories, if that's not clear. Um, <laughs> the, when you print, uh, or, or folks in your studio print like cards or, or something, um, most of them look like they're pre-cut. Do is that, do you cut most of your stuff before printing it? Yeah. So for, for greeting cards yeah. specifically, yes, I, I actually don't cut my greeting cards. I used to cut them and score them and it was I mean, I drove me crazy because if it's not a perfect, you know, 90 degree angle, then when you go to like fold the card, it's like a little wonky and stuff. And that drives me crazy. So then um, a, a friend of mine who I met through printing, she has a greeting card company called The Grits. She told me about Astro, is it Astro Paper or Astro Converters that sells pre-cut and pre-scored greeting card paper? Like they sell Letra 110 pound, like A2 folded cards. And that has like absolutely changed my life. It's all because of Narnia at the grits. And she told me about it. And I, because I used to hate doing folded cards. Like whenever clients would be like, should I do flat cards or folded for stationery? I'd be like, oh, flat. You definitely want flat. And now I'm, <laughs> and now I'm like, whatever you want. Because yeah. And, and it's, they're very, as far as I'm concerned, they're pretty cheap. Um, and it's great. Wow. That is, yeah. that's a total game changer. We, we printed like these little thank you cards. We just had a, a baby recently and, uh, we, oh, congrats. thank you. Yeah. When, when we folded them, you know I mean? There were so many things wrong, right? Number mm-hmm. one, like it didn't, it, they didn't match on either side. And then of course I realized after the fact that I folded against the grain. So every, you know, the corners yeah. start fraying, you know, and I'm just like, <laughs> whatever, they're a family, they'll get over it. But <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, if you're going to sell this, you got to do it right. And it's, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that is uh, a huge. I'm gonna uh, I'm yeah. writing that down because uh, I'm gonna go check those out for sure. Um, I'm I'm big on trying to obviously. It's like this isn't a novel idea. I'm not like you know rewriting anything, but I'm big on trying to find things that save me time. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, I spent so long wasting time trying to figure stuff out that now if there's like anything that's a time saver, um, you know, even if it is maybe at the sake of a little bit of money, which I don't think these these folded cards are, mm-hmm. um, I'm. I'm all about it. Yeah, well, and especially with letterpress, you know, I mean, it's just already a time time consuming process, so mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that totally makes sense. Well, one of the things that I think is probably one of your biggest, I don't know, style markers, uh, things that you maybe are known for, is I guess dipping your paper. Uh, oh, so yeah. this is a total mystery to me. Uh, I've oh, like, I, I, yeah, like I said, I'm like, I don't, but okay. So I don't, I don't have a designer paper background and like, yeah. I come from, you know, if water gets on paper bad, you know I mean? Like, if, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if water touches paper, that paper's done, you know, that piece oh, of no, paper is I over. I love, I love dipping and water coloring and anything. Um, yeah, as long, I mean, you can do 110 pound, but, and it might warp a little bit, but it'll, it'll flatten out, um, you know, either under a stack of books or on the press and then in the cutter. So what are you so. dipping, dipping the paper in? I use RIT, like RIT dye, because, you know, RIT is for garments and crane letter paper, as well as most other letterpress papers made out of cotton. So I use, you know, a combination of just various RIT dyes to kind of get my color right. Wow. That's just the, it seems like or it was more you can use Kool Aid too. 
you can use Kool-Aid. <laughs> Is yeah. that what she said? <laughs> and, then, and then you have like very nicely scented cards. So yeah, there's a ton of stuff. I mean, I think I'm, I'm a super curious person. Like I won't, I won't stop at like a question, you know, I will proceed to try to find the answer and it's, you know, it's probably slowly killing me, but that's how I found out like a ton of my stuff. Like, Oh, what can I print on? And what can I dip this in that it'll be okay. And, and that kind of stuff. So it's funny you mentioned the, uh, the smell of Kool-Aid right on paper, because I, I don't know if you knew this, this was probably, probably previously a little known fact. You can actually get, you should ask Ramco rollers about scented rubber rollers. Oh my God. <laughs> Kid you not. So I, I, in an episode, in a past episode, I talked to Adrian and he's like, yeah, we can actually like make strawberry or coconut or banana flavored. <laughs> it's like, that just, that blows my mind. I'm uh, like, so that's you, all I need when I'm like starving printing all day. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. It's like the smell of like. <laughs> well, now you can waffles. have flavored paper and rubber rollers. Yeah. Um, all of the above. Yeah, that's awesome. And so for the other, so for the watercoloring, that would just be standard watercolor, right? Would you? Yeah, I, yeah. There's a different. It kind of depends on like what kind of color I want to go for and what I'm gonna do. So I either just use like if it's a pale color. Sometimes I'll just use that like classic, super cheap like cake. You know, like the watercolor you get at Michaels or whatever for a couple right. bucks. Um, other times I'll use like Winsor and Newton, like nicer watercolor, Dr. Martens or something like that. It really just depends on like what level of saturation and what kind of has the best pigments. Um, if you, well, I don't think I've shown it and, um, I don't know when this will air, but I'll, on my story, sometimes I'll show, like, I have this wall of color swatches mm-hmm. and it's all like the different brands and like the watercolor colors that they have. So I can just kind of look at it and be like, oh, okay, I want a gray. And like, that's the nicest gray. And then I flip it over and it's like, oh, Windsor Newton Payne's gray or something like that. Oh, okay. So you just kind of like went through a test process and like tested all of these one day and then made swatches and like that's your reference board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I still Smart. like obviously custom mix stuff, but yeah. it's all, it's always like, I always joke that I'm like a lab, like a mad scientist. Cause it's always just like testing and pouring some here and then pouring some out here and figuring out what works. And then I figure out something that works and I'm like, okay, but I didn't write down how I got this color. <laughs> like, I learned that lesson the this hard way. This is the custom now, color. <laughs> so now I'm very diligent about even when I'm just like messing around and kind of mixing colors, I always like write what the ingredients are because nothing is worse than getting like the perfect color and being like, oh, but how did I get that? And I can't reproduce it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. that <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, do you print do you do you do the watercolor or dipping before you print on? Yes, yes. yeah, okay. I, I do because I'm. This is like I I I don't know if anyone would notice, but I like the look of the text going on top of the watercolor. That's yeah. important to me because if you watercolor after, it can kind of like make the text look a little chalky or something like that. So I always do that first. I always do the watercolor or the dip dye or any of that first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it would also maybe affect the color of the actual ink, maybe a little bit that it would look different or something. Something I don't, I don't know. I've never done this, but yeah, you should play around with it. It's fun. <laughs> I, I will. Well, my wife, she's very good at, at watercolor. We've never, never taken it uh, this far, but I, I guarantee you, we will. We will give it a. We will give it a, a good old college try at some point. Yeah. Um, the um, one of the another thing, the ink mixing. You do a ton of this on your. Insta stories, and I'm always fascinated. So it looks like you almost always use oil-based ink. Is that right? No. Oh, no. so it's funny. Someone else said that to me. The only 
I use rubber-based ink except for metallics or neon. So my metallics and my neons are oil-based. And the oil-based, as I'm sure you know, um, has like the skin over it. You know, that's what it's called. It's kind of a gross word. Right. But it has like the skin over it. And I just film myself. It always reminds me of creme brulee. <laughs> so I... <laughs> That's why I film myself like digging into the oil is because I think it's like super satisfying to like stick the knife in there and watch it ooze out. Um, But it's just because I don't film myself like sticking really like, you know, sticking a palette knife into rubber because that's like not that exciting. It's like everyone sees it every day with peanut butter or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I did wonder, um, but that makes a lot more sense because I guess metallics and neon, they only come in uh, oil based, I think. Right. I don't think I don't, you know. I don't know. Maybe I think metallics. Maybe um, I maybe I should know that. But my, my I don't know. Minor oil base. So yeah. 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 Well, um, my wife specifically wanted to, me to ask you about the neons or the the fluorescent ink. I mean, is that yeah. as satisfying to print on as it looks? <laughs> it's fun. I definitely love it. Um, so yes, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about. Uh, sort of experimenting with different ink mixes and uh, the fluorescents uh, are, are top on her list. But we also we still don't even have sort of all of the primary colors yet. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's difficult to when we go to mix, uh, which which is a, a, brings up a good question I wanted to ask you. How do you measure out the parts of your color? Yeah. So my Pantone book actually um, has like grams listed. So as opposed to, and I didn't buy this like this on purpose, I don't think. I think it just like happened to come this way because I learned by parts, you know, and this book that I have is Graham. So I measure all of my ink. Sorry, my phone. Um, I measure all of my ink on a Graham scale and the Pantone book, the way it works is every ink color equals 100 grams. And obviously that's a ton of ink. Like if I'm inking up the press I need five grams most you know maybe more if there's like a huge printable area or something so I divide everything by like 20 or 30 or some kind of common denominator and then I measure it on my little gram scale oh, okay so do you, would you always mix for the project or do you like save do you have like a palette of primary I do. colors if I, I should save but I'm so picky about color and like you know I it's like if there's a light blue, if someone wants a light blue or like a light green, some greens have redder undertones, some greens have bluer undertones. And if it's like a two color print, then the undertones really matter. So I custom, I custom mix everything. Oh, okay. Well, how do you communicate or, or like send the colors, I guess, for proofs or, or, you know, as you're working with a client, like, you know, over the internet or, you know, on, online, I mean, cause that, those colors it's don't just quite, a, you know, it's just, I know it's just a digital PDF. And I guess until now, or not until now, still now it's always kind of, it's always worked out, you know, sometimes maybe if someone doesn't understand what like a letterpress metallic is, then like they might be a little caught off guard of like, wait, why is it not shiny? And I'm like, okay, that's foil. Mm, yeah. So, um, but it's usually pretty clear. I, I got, I finally got one of the Pantone little swatch books where you can pull like the chip books, you know, where you can pull off a chip. So if there's ever a color that I'm like on the fence about or something, I can just mail that. I can mail a little chip to a customer. Um, I take a lot of pictures too. When someone's trying to pick like an envelope color or something like that, I'll take a lot of pictures with like the Pantone colors next to white or next to like the envelope in like various different lights to try to give you know, the customer, like a good idea of what kind of color it's going to be. Cause as you know, it looks like a gray will look totally different in sunlight than it does under studio lighting than it does on your computer screen. So, yep. 
Yeah, 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 totally. Well, um, so one thing I also wanted to ask you about, have you ever uh, sort of come out or thought about coming out with like a greeting card line or like done sort yes. of expand? Okay. <laughs> yes, um, hands down. I like I lightly tried a couple years ago. I saw that like everyone else was doing it and I thought it was like the path I was supposed to take. And the idea of printing a bunch of stuff and then packaging them and then selling them was really appealing because I was so deep in like the custom stuff. Like the thought of just doing a design that I wanted to do and sending that off was right. so alluring. So I kind of like forced a very, very small greeting card line and I, ultimately, I kind of wasn't proud of it, so I decided to not do anything with it and just, you know, have it sit in my closet at home for every life event that might happen to me for the next 50 years. I'm fully stocked. <laughs> um, so, and it's still something I, I toy around with, but m- my thing is, like, I want to do everything. I want to do a greeting card line, and I want to do this, and I want to do custom stuff, and I want to do branding and all this stuff, but, like, I'm tr- I really... I'm trying to practice narrowing my focus. So it's like, okay, let's get swell press and the semi-custom stuff and all that like up and running and let me dial that in and then I can maybe explore a greeting card line right. or something right. like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And my husband actually screen prints. He has a, a t-shirt company. So him and I have talked about starting like a subline with ideas that we just think are fun that neither of us are really like totally attached to that might not be on brand with swell press, but might be just a good idea otherwise or something we, we see other people maybe they would want. So we've, we're, we're lightly exploring that, but right now my focus is really just trying to streamline swell press as much as possible and get everything super dialed in there. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that uh, reminds me, you've got an awesome t-shirt for sale. I think it's like one of the only things, one or two of the only things on your <laughs> Etsy shop, but it's an yeah, awesome letterpress. Yeah, I Etsy, which I, my 2018 uh, what's resolution is going to be to like, you know, the resurgence of an Etsy shop. Um, yeah, my Helvetica letterpress supply shirt. <laughs> yes, it is awesome. It's like and coins and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's like keys and coins keys. and furniture and registration. My husband screen printed it. Um, he does a lot of like Helvetica shirts and stuff like that. So that was kind of the inspiration for that. I was like, I think it'd be like cool if I did that for letterpress. And, well, you know, there, it's a few select group of us who would actually understand it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that is that's very true. Most of my friends like coins what oh i I made business cards i was going to this event and just in the last minute i needed business cards so i made like some temporary ones and i made two one of them said girl boss and the girl was scratched out because i hate the term girl boss and then the other one said master of coin but it was like spelled like that so it was like a play on like game of thrones because i'm a total nerd and then like the (laughs) coins and like no one gets it except for like two people (laughs) (laughs) like i think i'm like super clever i'm like oh i'm hilarious But there's like the 200 people out there who are letterpress. Yeah. Yeah. They're like master of quine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, you know, one of the things that's clear from your Instagram and, and from following you, you do a lot of uh, instruction or, or teaching, you know, you bring people yeah. into the studio. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so like I, you know, I, I said the way that I learned was from a private lesson. So I was really excited to finally be in the studio and be able to to offer that to people because so many people are curious about letterpress, but it's like, how do you learn? You go enroll in an art school or something. Um, so my goal was to, you know, kind of spread the letterpress love and make that accessible for people. So it's just like a two hour um, intro course. And I have 
set designs people can print or I really encourage people to design something of their own because usually my clientele is the graphic designers or calligraphers. So oh, if they okay. design something okay. of their own, they can send that to me and I'll, you know, format it for plate making and then they can come print that. And it's been really great. I've met so many great people and everyone when they do it, like love it. I don't know how many people are like me where they're like, oh my God, this is what I want to do with my life. Goodbye. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I mean, what percentage of those people sort of walk out there like, okay, where do I find this? Where, I want one of these, you know? <laughs> I don't know. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone so far. Um, a lot of people walk out with like a love of letterpress and they're like, if you need help, seriously, call me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, if, if someone really does like it, I know that letterpress just isn't really that accessible, especially in LA when space is at a minimum. Um, so I, I also offer hourly press rentals. So if someone takes a lesson and they feel good about it and then they take my intermediate lesson, then they can just come and rent my presses by the hour. So, you know, which again is like, that's how I got started. I would drive, you know, like an hour north and go print and spend a full day there and then come back. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool. Um, we, I mean, I think I told you, but we, um, the, the course we took was from Baltimore print studios and this was after mm -hmm. we used to live in DC it was after we moved back, uh, to, we, we live now in Charlotte, North Carolina, but mm -hmm. we drove back up to, to Baltimore, uh, Kyle Van Horn, uh, and his wife run that shop. And it was, you know, it was just it, the the love of letterpress sort of emanates from everyone when you when they start teaching it you know i mean it is clearly uh something that's both addictive but also it's just so much you get so much enjoyment showing others you know i mean i our uh my in-laws were here and printing their christmas cards uh not too long ago and you know i get them all set up and i'm like yeah, you do this way and this way you know i think they yeah. want to know all the nitty-gritty you know and it's like i just want a card yeah <laughs> Yeah, it is fun. And it's, I love seeing people who, who love it. It's, it's so satisfying and it's really exciting. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Well, look, Brett, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, yeah, I, thank I, you so much. I feel like I could talk for like eight more hours. This is great. <laughs> I know, right? It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. This has been fantastic. Well, look, where can people find you uh, online? They can find me on Instagram at SwellPress, or they can find me on my website at www.swellpresspaper.com. Um, if, you know, if people aren't ready to make an investment in wedding invitations or stuff like that, occasionally I do release not greeting cards, but limited edition note card sets or something like that. Like I have a note card set online now, which has blind emboss and rose gold foil, and it's really pretty. Um, so occasionally I'll have products there. Oh, and my very neglected Etsy, if you want a letterpress t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> Which it, is is a, it is a cool letterpress t-shirt, I will add. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and those note cards that you just referenced, I've, I, I recall seeing those. Those are really, those look really, really nice. Did you do the foil yourself? Or? Thanks, I didn't. No, I don't have a Heidelberg. Um, okay. A lot of people ask about foiling. So if anyone's listening who doesn't know, it's you foil, um, I think only on like a Heidelberg or, or Kluge. Is that what it's? called I'm not yeah I think Kluge, um, I, I, I don't know if it's a hard G or not but that's what I've always yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm that's gonna be my next big investment is because there's so many things I want to play around with with foil so no I got the rose gold um, foiled and then I registered I have two designs one's like a, a leaf pattern which is always people's favorite and then the other one is like a snake skin because I'm like how cool would that be if something with a snake skin letterpress so I did it um, yeah, so I just registered that around the rose gold foil. Nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, wow. Yeah, they look, they look fantastic. Well, look, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, this was such a fantastic conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Jordan. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Uh, to find links to some of the references made throughout our conversation, you can visit the show notes page. That is at letterpressdigest.com forward slash 10. That's one zero. That will redirect you to the show notes page for this particular episode. Uh, I hope you all have happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we will see you back here in 2018.